welcome to the Vector Accelerator podcast, where we delve into the profound journey of veterans navigating the transition from military service to civilian life. Join us as we explore the challenges faced and the critical question for clarity in identity, purpose, and community beyond the uniform. I'm your co-host, Michael Halterman. My friends call me Halty, and I hope you will too. I spent about 20 years in the United States Marine Corps, first 10 years as an infantryman, and the second 10 years in special operations. The best version of me is always in service to others. I'm joined by my co-host, Joe Lara. You know, I joined the Navy to serve four years thinking that was going to be it, but that quickly turned into 24 and it flew by. Today, the best version of me is serving and hustling for others so that they can find clarity. And Halty and I, we're here together and we hope that you can find the best version of you. Today, we have special guest, Mercy Amayao. Welcome, Mercy. Mercy Amayao is a dynamic professional currently working as the director of municipal dealer sales at Raymond James Financial, as the co-chair of the National Veterans Inclusion Network and a member of the Veteran Financial Advisors. She not only excels in finance, but also passionately advocates for veterans, professional development, and community outreach. With a highly decorated 17 years military career, including roles as acting first sergeant and platoon sergeant, Mrs. Ama Yao brings a wealth of experience in leadership to the podcast. Again, welcome. Thank you so, so much for having me. So where we'd like to start is always with a group introspective exercise. And today's question, and don't worry, Mercy, we'll let you go last so we can, you can build your thoughts on this, is I've learned that I am someone who, I have learned that I am someone who, and as I was reading this question and contemplating kind of, I just picked up a paintbrush for the first time since I don't know when. And so mm-hmm. it really goes back to, I grew up skateboarding a lot and skateboarding is very creative in and of itself. And then I kind of put that away completely for 20 years in the military. And I've realized now in five years of transition and transition work, helping others that I had not really come back to my creative side and something had been missing. And so I picked up a paintbrush for the very first time, just literally this year, and I've produced a couple of paintings. They're terrible. I was going to say, are you a genius? <laughs> but <laughs> you're a secret genius. <laughs> no, definitely not a secret genius. But it's allowed me to express that creative side that I didn't know was missing for so long. And then it clicked. That's why I like rock climbing so much. It's very mm-hmm. creative and all of these little things. So I have discovered that, um, or I've learned that I'm someone who needs to be creative and it doesn't necessarily have to be the things that you, you know, you might think of immediately, but yeah. Love it. Alti. Yeah. It's so good. Uh, you, you still, I, I won't say creative cause you, you went first. I was going to go creative, but I'm going to go a different, I'm going to go a different way. Um, yeah. I figured this out and I learned this about me. I am someone who answers the call and what that mm-hmm. looks like is, uh, I remember, uh, I think I was talking to you at the time we were, we were at work and my phone rings and it's, and I look down and it's my older son, Brandon, and he never calls me at work, but I'm like, uh Oh, right. I ended up having to help him navigate a little situation. It was kind of, now it's funny. Then it was kind of a little bit of a panic situation. Uh, but I started reflecting on that story and a bunch of other stories and realizing that was like a common theme where I'll get these calls. Maybe it's 
Sunday morning, like weird time. And you're like, wait a minute. And this, who, why is this person calling me now? But I just always pick up and it's just something that I think I, I, I'm just called to do. I don't know why. Um, and it, I started thinking about that even more. Like it feels good to be that person. Um, maybe like the, the, the fire department for them in their life. I don't know. Put out no. a fire if I can, but, uh, but yeah, that's something that's, that's something that's just kind of pretty good. That's popped, yeah. in, popped in my mind. Yeah. Look at you guys. So smooth. I just want to steal that one. That's pretty good. Um, <laughs> I've, uh, I've actually realized and that I'm someone who likes to build tribes. That's what mm. I call it. Um, Love it. And I think honestly, so I was recently reading this book. Maybe you guys already read it. Um, tribe on homecoming and belonging by mm -hmm. Sebastian Junger. Do you know what so I'm talking good. about? Oh yeah. yeah. Same Definitely guy a must read. did Restrepo. Yeah. And mm -hmm. such a, such a great perspective on mm -hmm. us and coming home and feeling displaced. And a bunch of my friends have told me, I, I just, I collect great people and I'm, I collect them, but I'm not <laughs> selfish with it. To me, if like I meet someone fantastic and I, or a service member, I think, Hey, so-and-so could help you with this. I just put them together. So literally I realized this at our, at our wedding when we literally had pockets of people from all walks of life, it was like school and military and some random thing we did and volunteering. And, and it was just all these pocket people, but they all came together and we had no doubt they would all get along and have a great time and become friends on their own. Because I believe the friends or people, you know, are a reflection of who you are. And it was just fantastic. And, and the tribes became a tribe itself. So I always tell people, everybody knows me or, or talks to me like, oh yeah, Mercy's tribe. It just became a thing. But then I realized on reading that book and everything, you know, it's just sort of something that's, you know, built in us, especially from that service when, and special operations and the teams, it's just, that's what it is. You know, and when we feel like we don't belong, or we don't find that family, that structure, in our civilian life or wherever, I think that's when service members tend to get lost mm -hmm. post service. Yeah. Love it, man. That's such a good word tribe. Mm -hmm. uh, can't help but think of some other authors, Simon Sinek talking about tribes and, and it's kind of woven into our DNA and biology, how we're yeah. wired to be in community. It's for, it's a survival yeah. thing, right? And yeah. us veterans have this privilege of finding tribe and feeling like mm -hmm. a sense of belonging. And now the scary part is what happens when that tribe is potentially sort of it's ending, true. right? So yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I love it. Great. Great. Yeah. And um, I honestly, I don't know, but the part about, I think the book that's also pretty striking is um, the piece where it talks about maybe the problem coming home and obviously being displaced and maybe the problem isn't with the veteran. Like it's not what's wrong with you, but it's what's wrong with society. Society's mm. changed. Nothing changed for us when we left. It was just, you wake up, you do this, you wear this, you go. And that mm. was our norm. So we come home and society's moved on. Then we feel like what's wrong with me. And I liked that the tribe, the book suggested that maybe it's not us. Mm -hmm. Maybe society's is the problem and society needs to adjust to us versus us always adjusting to mm. it. So interesting. Interesting. Book. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thanks for sharing that, that perspective too. I appreciate that. Um, so this chapter to kind of get into some questions, Mercy, and, and help us out mm -hmm. here with, want to hear your take on this. This chapter is about storytelling and uh, the, the storytelling piece is so 
important when it comes to uh, it comes up in interviews, it comes up in cups of coffee. When people are trying to figure out, hey, who are you, Mercy? What value can you bring to my company, my organization, my team? And sometimes a succinct, uh, relevant story is a good way to kind of relate that. In the work that our veterans are doing in this course, it's a lot of really deep dive into their past. Um, all kinds of stories, we hope, kind of um, rise to the top and maybe uh, um, fill, fill an area where they maybe, you know, there was a, it was kind of gray, gray or they didn't even know it existed, but through the storytelling, yeah. they're getting some more, um, they're getting some more insight into themselves. So for you, is there a certain story that comes to mind uh, that kind of highlights um, a significant thing in your life that you feel um, would, would uh, maybe if we were interviewing and be like, oh, man, this would be really good right now to kind of mention who I am yeah. through this story. What comes to mind? Yeah, um, I'll share the story because it comes up a lot for when other people tell, I guess, in the corporate corporate military life, tell people about me. This seems to come up a lot. And I've spoken at different conferences and I always highlight this piece and I agree with storytelling. One storytelling helps us pay it forward. And when I transitioned, well, when I went from, Hey, I retired because at 17 years I got injured bad enough that I had to medically retire out. It was, it was one of those things where I didn't have my life corporate life plan because I didn't think, I think I'd had still had like maybe my three years till 20 or even further. And I had no choice. It was one of those, mm. I didn't have a choice. And I was thankful enough that, you know, I retired with, with my medical disability, but it was still one of those things where you're thrown off and you get thrown off back to the tribe and from your world of your battle buddies, your teams into corporate America, which is very dog eat dog. I was fortunate mm. enough that I was at a career fair at uh, McDill and um, mind you, and I'll get to my story, but this is the, the, I tell veterans all the time, like, listen, they all come and they're like, how are you who you are? And I was like, listen to me. If you saw my first resume ever, you would have just laughed because here I am at this career fair, just handing it out like candy, thinking I'm the shit. Can I curse on this? Yes. You did. Okay. That's okay. We're going. I apologize. But thinking <laughs> like I am it and I have, I'm in on my resume and it says, Hey, um, like, what did I have on there? I just had all these different acronyms on there. And I was like proficient at an M203 grenade launcher. This is like to corporate America. I'm handing it out to JP Morgan, Wells Fargo. And they're all probably chucking it away. Like, what do we what do we do with this? Like, it wasn't translated. There was no one, mm. no organization like the Honor Foundation or anything to help you integrate or, or translate at the time that I knew of. And so I just thought I was great. And it took uh, the JP Morgan table, this one guy who apparently Raymond, uh, JP Morgan has a huge military hiring team. They're very specific mm -hmm. on things. And he was a former ranger and he looked at my resume and he was like, this is terrible. But he's like, but you're really good. He's like, but it, you could be really good at the global financial crimes. I was like, I don't even know what that is. He's like, have you ever thought of anti-money laundering? It's like, no idea what that is. Um, and he explained it to me and I was like, oh, that's a lot of Intel stuff like we do in the military. He goes, same thing, except you don't shoot anybody in the face. And I was like, oh, well, that's, and he goes, and he goes, you get to go home at night. So it's like, perfect. Um, so it was somebody giving me an opportunity, right? Like he, he paused me and he was like, love this resume, but what do you actually do? Like, what was your skill set? I'm telling him about being a target or an Intel and stuff like that. Gave me an opportunity conversation. And we chatted and I just sat at that table 
And he gave me an opportunity to kind of tell him what I meant. And that was the beginning of me going, okay, now I need to do better. Now I, I know how to change things up. And honestly, that one person just taking a second sent me on this trajectory. I was at JP for one year, him and a couple of leaders there mentored me. And so I'm really, really the, the power of storytelling is is a hundred percent attributed and related to mentorship and paying it forward. They're all tied mm. in because you're doing it without even knowing you're doing it. And you're just by sharing your story, you're literally giving somebody an ease of mind for them to know, oh my God, oh, I guess my life isn't so crazy. Or if she can do this, or I could do this, or her story is so crazy. You are inevitably just paying it forward, right? Without even realizing, and you're mentoring without even knowing you are another group of another generation, another group of service members who just never saw themselves in where you are, right? So I was just patient zero for me. And so moving forward, you know, I, I, they mentored me into going to Raymond James. They literally said, Hey, with your skill set, Raymond James is building a new team. You should go. I go to Raymond James, fifth person hired to help build their anti money laundering fraud sanctions program. And I was building all this stuff. I was bringing all the knowledge I had from DOD to this. And it was just kind of like a startup. They're like, No bad idea. How much money do you need? And let's do this. And I was like, This is such great support. And they didn't even have a veterans group at the time. Like, this was, I didn't figure that out yet. This is just me keeping my head down. And I think a year in, and I had I was in one building. I haven't ventured out to network. I don't know anybody at Raymond James except for my little team. After a year of building the solid foundation of the programs, I was like, let me try to network now. Like, that's what I'm built for. I, I'm a targeter. You know, travel the world, meet new people, decide if you have to kill them. Says that's the motto. But, you know, so I, I'm like in the cafeteria and in the big cafeteria where all the Raymond James leaders sit. So Raymond James is very strange than other companies. They have a mom and pop mentality, even as they've gone to a fortune 500 company or whatever, they kept the mom and pop mentality. Like CEO, make sure that the, that the phone book is first name and last name. He doesn't want anybody called Mr. This or Mr. That. So it's like values and everything is really just kind of aligned to how we were in the military. And so I'm in the cafeteria and in the cafeteria, in the center of it, there's this one table large table where apparently all the CEOs, like Tom James, Paul Riley, the president of bank, the president of investment, they all sit there apparently every lunch and just, I don't know, contemplate the status of the financial world, whatever they do. And they all sit there. And I guess it's just known. There's no assigned seating at this firm, but they all just sit there and people just don't touch that table. So I'm in the cafeteria. I don't know anybody. Again, I only know this one senior leader from one of the uh, one of the businesses who spoke out of my orientation and then his family happened to have been military. And so him and I just got talking and got friendly. And that's, you know, that's how you create your network. So he's the only person I know at the farm. So I'm in the cafeteria. I get my food. I'm looking around. The cafeteria is packed. There's just no seats. I don't know anybody. And I look and I look at this table and I call it the wise men table, right? With all the CEOs. And there's a seat open. And then I see the senior leader, his name's James Camp, who had spoken at my orientation, the one with the, the military family. There's a seat open next to him. And I was like, it's time to do the Rosa Parks. I'm just going to walk over there and just sit down. So I just, just take my tray and I tell you guys, the closer I got to the table, the more the cafeteria stopped breathing. People are like, is she? Is she actually? No, 
No, she wouldn't. And I think my boss was in the cafeteria at the time too. And so literally dead silent. People are just like, and I got closer and closer, bibbity bobbing, went right there, put my tray between James Camp and I think uh, the president of our uh, Raymond James and Associates. And I sit down and I said, gentlemen, what are we speaking about today? And they all just got quiet. <laughs> and James Camp was like, he looks at me, he goes, oh, hey, mercy, right? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, how are you? And this is, speaks to the, the culture of the firm. And he's like, I'm like, I'm fine. He's like, do you all know Mercy? Of course they don't know me. And he's like, Mercy is a new associate. She was in the military. She's transitioning here. And now she's starting into, in the anti-money laundering group. And he's like, Mercy, this is so-and-so president of this, so-and-so. And he just goes around the VIPs, you know, important people are Raymond James. And um, they're all like, well, yeah, welcome. They're like, how are you liking the firm? And I was like, it's pretty great. I haven't seen much of it right now because I've had my head down. And I was like, so what do you do? What does your department actually do? And they're like, well, I do this and this. And I'm like, cool, calm. And I swear the cafeteria is still not breathing at this time. They're like, what is she doing? <laughs> and so I'm making jokes and they're like, well, I do this. And I was, they're like, I, you know, I had this and this and that. And I was like, once upon a time, I used to have the kicking ass and taking names for terrorists. And they're all just like laughing. And the people are like, what is she saying? That's so funny that these important people are laughing, literally losing their minds. And our uh, we had an hour and a half, almost two hour lunch, me and these people. And at the end of it, they said, hey, listen, if you ever want to learn more about our departments, you want to come left seat, right seat with somebody, just shoot us an email and we'll make it happen. And as soon as I left and I went to my desk, I put a standing lunch on 10 of these CEOs calendars, standing lunch and coffees monthly to catch up with them. Even if I have nothing to say, you'll know me. And for the last six years or so, we've had lunches and happy hours and they've mentored my career. And it's this is open to everybody. People just don't ask. So when I tell mm. people this story, they're like, how did you have the balls, the chuspah to just sit there? And so let me tell you something about us military folks. Like I've been shot at, I've been yelled at by generals. I've been cussed out by top brass. Me sitting down next to Tom James and him telling me, I can't sit there is the least scary thing that's ever going to happen to me. <laughs> and I was like, tell me, I was like, let me tell you that. Find a story, find, and I tell these people, I'm like, when we're talking about storytelling, I was like, find something that tethers you, something that's your anchor, the scariest mm. thing that's ever happened to you. It could literally yeah, be yeah. my dog escaped the yard and gave me a heart attack, or I don't know, my, I, I didn't pass this exam. Nobody gets to judge the weight of that scariness that was scary right. for you me i have my stories of war etc that i've had stuff that's so scary to me that sitting next to the president or founder of raymond james is nothing to me and mm. you use that and you create this mental boulder or this mental coin almost and you just keep it in your pocket and anytime you're about to walk in a boardroom or a presentation remember is what i'm about to do scarier than what happened to me here and if it isn't, then you go and you knock it out. And I tell people that in storytelling all the time and just knock it out. Nothing can be that scary. So honestly, that's like my big, my big sort of welcoming entrance into corporate America. I just bulldoze it into it and have never stopped since. <laughs> I love how you connected the importance of mentorship through all of that, right? The, the mm -hmm. big, so what being able to tell your story yeah. and what it really got for you, maybe at that time was the mentorship to 
do the translating of the, all those acronyms on that first yeah. resume to the mentorship that you've obviously still continued to receive at the, at the firm is just, it's priceless. It's, it really is. And those senior leaders deciding on their own to spend time just having lunch and telling me about whatever piece, everyone's always surprised. I came in and like I said, I came in anti-money laundry fraud. And then this is the other story sort of that lines up to it. And it honestly speaks to service members. I think we undervalue ourselves when we go into corporate America, right? Mm -hmm. We just came in, we're like, I was just a mechanic or I just shot, I was just a, you know, a team's member or I was just a, a squad leader. We don't realize the value of all the stuff, the million dollars of training and leadership skills that we bring that is that cannot be taught in corporate America. And this is my my other story. So these senior leaders are, leaders are mentoring me. I'm building this. And three years into building the fraud program, I, I'm done and I'm ready to make my next move. Um, two years in, I should say, uh, myself and one of my best friends now, Marine Corps buddy, who also came from JP Morgan, it's year two at Raymond James, and I think it's like Veterans Day. So we get a flyer saying veterans, we're having a lunch to honor our veterans. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is the, you know, the circle, the tribe I've been looking for. So we go, and I don't know him again, we go into this lunch, and I'm looking around the cafeteria, and it's all these sad looking vets with free lunch, like with oh. crappy salad and whatever. And people are coming by here and there and saying, thank you for your service. And so I walk in the same time as Steve LaBarbera now. He's the chief compliance officer at the firm now. So he went up real quick. And at the time, he was uh, the chief audit executive for the whole firm. And we both walked in at the same time and we looked at each other. And I said, this is the Veterans Network? And they're like, well, we don't have an official Veterans Network per se. But yeah. And I'm looking around. I was like, well, what? And he, he and I asked the same question. I was like, well, what does it do? What do you do? Like, well, we just kind of get together on major holidays and you know the firms buys up buys us lunch and we get to show our appreciation for each other and i was like so then what do you do and you know that's like a question and they're blank and i was like so him and i looked at each other and think i'm on the same page we're like this is not who we are i was like we're veterans we're resilient we don't quit we don't have handouts we don't have people pitying us like what is this and him and i volunteered and i put that in quote to join the the veterans network leadership that we're going to build and that actually ended up just being us staging a coup and kicking out the old people and so we volunteered and we turned it into what is now the valor network because we, we're like listen we are active you want to get an, a veteran out and active out of their head into their best prime, you get them working and helping someone else. It's what we do it. Life of service out of the uniform doesn't stop. When we take off the uniform, we are best positioned to help somebody else. I don't care if that's mentoring someone else. I don't care if that's opening the door every day for someone else. Like if you get us out and active, we are our best self. So we told them we were going to build a network that was focused on community outreach, paying it forward, mentorship, professional, as you said, professional uh, affiliations and professional development and ask helping other veterans get to where we are. Because that was a struggle bus for me, but I've learned a lot. And I also want to make sure that the veterans coming into this life probably have it easier because I can pass down some of the lessons I've learned mm -hmm. on resume writing and interviewing and networking that maybe will get them through the door faster and know that there's a network of people. 
And we built this network specifically for that. And to this day, we tell any, any veteran that reaches out to us, I'm like, you don't even have to come to work for Raymond James. If you just want to pick our brain about how that works, we have a network of people. I'm like, let me just connect you. And they'll get on a Zoom. We're, we're not worried or concerned about hiring them. We're just worried about pairing them up with people like the Honor Foundation, hiring our heroes, Chamber of Commerce, you know, Operation Healing Forces, whatever network or veteran nonprofit we think is best suited for what they're going through. That's where that goes through. And it, it's, you know, that's helping vets is a real thing. But that's about helping vets also means mentorship. And mentorship isn't always in and out of the office. It, it just, it's a lifelong relationship that continues with us, you know? Man, that's so good, Mercy. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I, I heard so many things that we could go in many directions here. So um, bringing up the value that veterans have experienced from their maybe sometimes challenging areas in their career. Uh, some of us that experienced combats, so maybe, maybe we just had a really tough time in the military and we had to navigate that and the stressors, but realizing that some of those things were probably far greater than we'll ever experience moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, the corporate world is still chaotic, but not maybe not as bad, right? And so yeah. I think it was really cool that you brought up re- remembering and tapping into that resiliency. Um, some other things too, it's like a lot of values, right? You can tell uh, uh, just stepping into a room with other veterans and realizing something's not right here. The values mm-hmm. that we once held can actually be pulled forward. Exactly. Let's tap into some of that and, and maybe uh, do some really great things moving forward. Exactly. I love it. Love it. And, and um, some of those oh, sorry, veterans, honestly, sorry, just to add to that, some of these veterans end up, we always talk about, um, you'll have a network of people that can advocate for you in rooms where you can't make it in there in the boardroom, in certain conference rooms. And Steve Barbara, my Marine Corps buddy, a crayon eater friend of mine, ended up becoming the chief audit executive at the firm. And so he takes on this role and he realizes that he didn't have enough leaders. He had a lot of managers, Mm -hmm. but he didn't have leaders. And that was one thing I tell people, leadership and management is not synonymous. We know this. Corporate America doesn't necessarily know this. And it's not until they've worked with certain veterans, you know, first responders that they come to realize that that is a com- completely different guiding behavior. And so he becomes, and, he, and I'm finishing up a three-year stint in, as a, I think I was a senior, no, I was a manager at the time in anti-money laundering. And he said, Mercy, I want you to come work for me as a director. And director would mean I'm moving up, I, I believe it's like two, two, three levels at the firm right? Like automatically. And so he takes this to HR and this is a story for all veterans, like just so we understand our worth right now. He takes this to HR and HR is like, we can't just promote a manager from manager to director. Like that's usually like a six to seven year career track. And we require this much leadership training and they call it leadership again, what they mean is management and all Mm -hmm. these other check boxes. So they'd say that to Steve LaBarbera, Grant, Marine Corps guy, they tell him that they can't approve me transferring over there and becoming a director because I don't have enough leadership skills. And I emphasize that. And he was like, are you kidding me? me? And this is what veterans need to be aware of. Like HR does not necessarily speak the same language as you do. And he said, are you kidding me? And again, he was someone several levels up who could advocate for me because he said, have you looked at her military resume before you said this? 
And he was angry. He was like, this is insulting. He's like, go read her military resume. And then he took it even forward. He took it to the, to the head of the, um, HR, um, business group. Like t talent acquisition. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, head of acquisition, and then the president of one of the businesses who sat on it, and that president, his sons were like one of his son was like an Apache pilot, the other one worked at the Pentagon. Like he had a whole military family, so he understood. So he hears this, and he was one of the wise men I used to sit with, right? So he knows me. See the networking come to peace, and he hears that they won't promote me from manager to director because they don't think I have leadership skills, and he loses it. <laughs> and next thing I know. HR begrudgingly sends me an offer letter with way more money than I thought I deserved because again, I wasn't looking at myself in the same spec and they fought for me and I wasn't in the room. I wasn't in the HR committee hiring rooms, none of that. Steve and this, this man went and spoke on my behalf because they knew by looking at my resume and have knowing me as a veteran, what I could bring to the table. And that's how I got skipped a couple levels, went to director. And a few years later, I'm a director in uh, trading when I have no trading skills and I don't have an MBA because I talked my way into, give me a chance I can make this happen. And again, people spoke on me, my behalf in a room about, hey, she's a go-getter. She said she can do this, give her a couple months and she'll get it done. But it's that whole network, right? That mentorship, because you build that network and I don't even have to be there to know that my brothers and sisters have my back somewhere where I'm not there. And when you create that network and that network is just so far, there's so many service members I meet that are like, so-and-so was in the army. Did you know them? I don't know them, but I'll probably know somebody that they know. And that's where this whole network comes, whether it's us or you or whatever, this conversation, it's just such a big network. We're such a big population that it's completely important for us to realize our worth and know that our network is there for us. All right. So thank you so much, Mercy. Um, I, I love hearing that story of how um, through uh, advocacy, it sounds like other veterans maybe that you've networked with in the organization and outside of the organization, speaking on your behalf, understanding the value that veterans bring. And they can actually look at maybe a resume that maybe you know doesn't translate it so well, but a veteran can look at it or somebody that understands veteran uh, can look at it and realize the value and pull it forward. So that's that's really cool um, to hear and see that kind of support for you. And it's obviously serving you super well. So that's, that's so good. Um, other veterans maybe uh, that are listening to this can now see the value when we're talking about cups of coffee, how important that is finding mm -hmm. the veterans that are maybe in an organization that you're looking at. Um, and then also working on that story and crafting your story. Mm -hmm. So when you do maybe get into in front of an audience where there isn't a military veteran, they can still see you and the value you bring. Um, so Mercy, how can people get a hold of you if they want to, if they want to, you know, connect? Yeah, please, 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 please get a hold of me. Like I said, paying it forward is really important for me, but, uh, you could just search Mercy Amayel on LinkedIn. Um, I don't know if you all can see my name at the bottom of the screen for my, for my podcast from this podcast, right? So just yep. search Mercy Amayel. There shouldn't be any. And if they are report them to me so I can get them removed. <laughs> okay. Um, but <laughs> But uh, um, thank you to Joe Halty for having me here. I think these conversations are so important. And cups of coffee is one of the best things ever, I think. So, yeah, it allows everybody to get involved and, and mentor veterans. So thank you guys for having me here. Good stuff. Good stuff. And so everybody listening, just thank you so much for, for tuning in. Um, like always, transitioning uh, from active duty 
or maybe even the reserves or the guard, wherever you're at to civilian life can be challenging. And so we, uh, we encourage you to don't do it alone. Um, we want to invite our guests to head over to VectorAccelerator.org, uh, where you can download our transition checklist and or enroll in Vector Accelerator's self-guided virtual course. And this is all designed to accelerate your journey to clarity, conviction, and confidence. Thank you.